dream's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Welcome, everybody, to the apocalypse. I'm not going to lie. This is not exactly how I imagined it. It's not fun, and it's a bit dull, but it is pretty frightening. So hopefully over this next hour, we can entertain you with some film chat. And we're not going to do what you think we're going to do. We're not talking about apocalypse films. We're not talking about isolation (laughs) films. We're not going to just review Quarantine 1 and 2. We're actually going to review The Invisible Man. But before we get to that, I'm Thomas. I'm joined by John and Mary. John, how are you? I'm good, yes. Not going stir crazy because I've not actually had to self-isolate or anything, which is obviously very nice. But as with you, I am not looking forward to it one bit. I always have these dreams of oh, space all the time, but it's not going to quite work out that way, I'm afraid. Never mind, eh? Mary, I had a feeling that you've been locked in that <laughs> attic of yours since the last podcast. It just looks like you've been living up there. I mean, no, honestly, I haven't moved. Like, I am... So, so excited to do this pod. As I said, it's been amazing to see your wee kippins. I'm so happy. And yeah, I have been in a static since last Monday when we all got sent home from work for laptops. And honestly, I was like, oh, working from home. I love doing this. Yeah, like once a month or something, it's okay. But see, when you've been doing it for two weeks and you're the only person in the house, like the cat is just no company whatsoever. Well, like I said, we're going to review The Invisible Man. This is a film we all managed to catch in the cinema just to know more. Unfortunately, that's not an option for the people anymore. However, it's available on demand and it's good. I like the fact that film companies are doing this and that people are not missing out on the big releases. And I'm glad especially with this one because I enjoyed it a lot. For those not familiar with it, it's Invisible Man. We can all kind of guess what it's about in that kind of aspect. But this is a kind of little twist in the story. We have a successful businessman, Adrian, who is very abusive to his partner, Cecilia. And she's had enough of it. Eventually puts up the courage and leaves him. But she then finds news that he's committed suicide in apparent despair. But surprisingly, has left her with, with an inheritance. There are some conditions to it. She has to keep her nose out of trouble. She has to prove that she's mentally capable of being sane. However, she tries to convince her family and friends that Adrian is not dead, but is haunting her. But not because she believes in ghosts. She believes he has made himself invisible after faking his own death. And he's trying to torture her. When I first seen this film was coming back out in a remake... That my last memory of the Invisible Man was Chevy Chase. It was a comedy. Of course, you had Kevin Bacon and Hollow Man, which was a lot more darker. This is more similar to that in many ways. But I thought it was a cracking film. I thought it was really creepy, it was really atmospheric. It has got a horror element to it. And in many ways, it is like a ghost story, but with a science fiction element, as there's no supernatural entity involved. John, what were your thoughts on it? Pretty much the same as yourself. I had low expectations going into it, even though it was a Blumhouse production. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Enjoyed it from start to finish, basically because the turning round of it with a female lead rather than a male lead, it was all focused on her and everything to do with her behaviour and her reaction to the situation she was in. Just thought it was absolutely brilliant the way that they did it. Obviously, with Blumhouse, they have this reputation of making quality products on very limited budgets. And again, it showed here. Thought it was very well done indeed. 
It was atmospheric. Like you say, it wasn't a total horror film, but they've had a, a real track record of not doing straight-up horror films and varying things for their audience, which makes it more interesting, and it means that people will come back and watch the films again. So, Joy John, you were saying you had low expectations regarding that. Uh, Mary, did you have low expectations going into it? Uh, were you more excited? No, I was really excited because I enjoyed Upgrade so much, which was also directed by Lee Winnell, and I am utterly engrossed in The Handmaid's Tale, which obviously Elizabeth Moss is the central role in that. So I had really high hopes that they're kind of partnership. And I'm a kind of sucker for a, a classic monster movie. So I was just kind of excited to see where they, where they would take this. I know this isn't part of the universal, like the dark universe. Dark universe. To see what they were doing and kind of updating it and how they were going to retell the story. And for me, like there was real kind of social commentary in it as well. And it definitely was kind of, you know, she's leaving this, you know, billionaire or whatever he is. And everyone was kind kind of dismissing it as like hysterical or sort of saying you know why would you want to leave that that lifestyle and to me there was a real kind of commentary on, on how women are treated when they they leave abusive relationships and particularly like with the kind of response from the police when she initially says like I think he's made himself invisible and Elizabeth Moss is just one of these actresses who just she just gives everything to every role that she's in she's not afraid to you know make the kind of intense facial expressions really get sort of down and dirty as it were and really get her sink her teeth into the role and for me it absolutely delivered I was so glad I caught it in the cinema because I just I so enjoyed it yeah definitely and you mentioned the director there mm-hmm. Lee Manel having done Upgrade this is only his third film it was no, it was mostly known for writing Saw and the Insidious mm-hmm. franchise his directorial debut was Insidious Chapter 3 which, you know me, I love a good horror sequel. I was going to is... that sounds like your perfect movie, because it's like part three. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pretty good film. It's, it wasn't as good as the first two, but it was a decent sequel. I loved Upgrade. Upgrade was absolutely fantastic. That was a, an awesome film. And it was good to see that with this, he's shown versatility. And as you see, I had a lot of, kind of so, a social commentary to it. And the idea that maybe he was ghost in her. Is that too much of a pun? Was that too on the nose as a theme? That that may be a wee bit too, too on the nose, but I, I like the I like the dynamic of the relationship. I like the fact that that's why he was invisible and not just some weird kind of science experiment or whatever. Like I definitely think it's a film that kind of gets under your skin. Like there's so many times where you know you the kind of the camera would be sitting like outside her room or kind of watching people like go about their business, and you're like shit is he there is he in the room and then when they were focusing on like the stills of like you know a kitchen or a lounge or dining area you were like waiting for something to move you were waiting yeah. for a clue that he was in the room so you kind of were holding your breath a lot of the time although it was kind of more clever and more sophisticated than a kind of standard monster movie like you definitely were waiting for those little bites just to know he was in the room and then that's all kind of part of the enjoyment factor for me. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't so much kind of... It was nuanced in some ways, but not very subtle on others. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the kind of haunted house feel at the beginning mm-hmm. when she's just kind of like putting her washing away and there's total silence. The, the, the use of music and lack of it in this movie was absolutely, was absolutely brilliant. As it really kind of built the tension. I mean, it was just completely silent. You're waiting to hear something, as you say, like a chair moving or a creak. And take away the science fiction element of it as him being invisible he's still a total monster of a man yeah. and if you had him doing this to her taking away that element it's still a very effective horror or thriller just depending on how you you felt about the movie 
But you mentioned like, I said, Wasp being really good. And John, what's your thoughts on her? I haven't watched The Handmaid's Tale, but I've seen Mad Men. She's completely versatile. She seems to be able to just turn her hand to absolutely everything. She was in a film last year called Her Smell, where she was the lead singer of a band. And it sort of traced their trajectory from being sort of indie darlings to her completely crashing and burning. Absolutely fantastic. Totally different type of role. But again, it was one of these 100% roles. She just gave everything in it. I can't really fault her. She's one of these actors that just delivers every time. You want you want to watch something she's in. It's like a sign of quality. Yeah, absolutely. And the way yeah. that she played it initially made you think that maybe part of this was in her head. Obviously, the name of the film is The Invisible Man. So you're kind of knowing what's happen but after the initial escape from the house you do get the sense that they're kind of playing up the aspect of her maybe not being totally compismentous there might be something wrong with her maybe this is all in her head and they don't give any clues towards that and the way that she plays that part is just sublime she plays plays as if she's a victim but a victim of circumstances rather than because of what the, the type of person she is. She's a strong character, but it, it comes across as being like she's obviously very vulnerable and everything as well. And she, she's looking for support and she gets the support from her friends and who she's staying with and everything. But even them, they look at her at times and go, hmm, well, I don't know, you know, is it all in her head? There's it's, Obviously, there's unconditional love there, but sometimes they're kind of thinking, this is getting a bit too fantastical. It's maybe not all real. It might just be something else. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that there because I, I, felt, I felt the same watching that. Her performance was so fractured and so fragile. She's so broken from this relationship that even though you know the plot of the movie, you're still watching it with that in your head going, would I believe her? Mm-hmm. I don't think I would. Yeah, and obviously, I- take, take away ideas. Oh, yes, I believe you're invisible. Ex-boyfriend's trying to kill you. It's not that, but it's the idea that... Yeah. She doesn't seem believable in a strange way, yeah. not because of the absurdity of it, but because of the because of how she portrays the character as being so mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a brilliant performance, absolutely outstanding. For a well, movie it kind of had spell, to be, didn't it? Yeah, it had to be a good performance because she was on screen pretty much all the time in a good acting, way. Acting against nothing at times. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Which was so impressive. Some of the kind of fight scenes, which is what I was looking forward to, because of the kind of physicality that Logan Marshall Green had employed in Upgrade. I was kind of wondering if he would do that kind of thing in The Invisible Man. And actually, some of the kind of fight scenes or interactions, you're like, that must have been so hard to shoot. Like, how do you fake nothing strangling you or throwing you across the kitchen or whatever? And she's just tremendous. She just take, totally takes it all in her stride. And I think because she is this kind of unreliable narrator throughout or she's portraying the role as such you are kind of like you know is this going to get to the end and it it was all a dream sort of thing and I think that I think that kind of plays into the whole idea of women being believed about stuff and maybe I'm just watching this differently like as a woman and thinking do you know if I told my friends I was being abused by my ex-boyfriend and that he was stalking me and, and trying to fuck up my life and he'd faked his own death would I get their support or would I be dismissed as like crazy and I think that's kind of where she sort of there's there's elements of a role that you do think, OK, I, I think she needs like help and support. And other times you're just like, I don't know if I would believe her. And that makes me feel bad because I'm like, I would want to give the support to a friend who needed it. But she just she plays it so well. It's incredible. I thought it was a bit of a masterstroke focusing on 
her character rather than the invisible man because previous films have focused on that yeah it's always things moving about in the room or the invisible man's actually covered in bandages and wearing sunglasses mm-hmm. or in the case of chevy chase was you not wearing an overcoat yeah things like that and that was the kind of focus of it we wouldn't have got a film anywhere near as good if it was Johnny Depp that was the Invisible Man because they would have had to have him visually on screen because they're mm-hmm. not going to spend all that money on getting an actor with Johnny Depp and then not putting him on screen. It, yeah. just, it just wouldn't work. So this way, because it's, and I'm not diminishing the performance of the Invisible Man, but it was a lesser actor, a lesser name, so therefore they could get away with it. Perfect sense when you see it in retrospect, but for them to actually figure that out is pretty classy. Yeah, yeah it almost point. wasn't his story. In no, fact, it, it wasn't his story, it was hers. Is that, I mean, H.G. Wells, originally The Invisible Man over 100 years ago, it's been adapted how many times have we seen this character in one way or another in movies where it's his own movie from the golden age of cinema, films like Hollow Man, just mentioned Chevy Chase, being incorporated into the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's, we've seen this character so many times, but we haven't seen this type of story involving this character, which made a very, let's be honest, a tired idea. It's very cliched to an extent of the idea of an invisible man. But this was a fresh reboot and that's mm. a feat in itself. That's that's very good. I did like the fact that the character of the invisible man, Cecilia's uh, ex-boyfriend, was called Griffin, which was the name of the invisible man in the original story, which I thought was pretty nice. And HB Touch just kind of shows you that doing their research. But you mentioned earlier about the universal dark universe. Yeah. Was I the only one that was a little scared that they might have tried to shoehorn it in at some point? big spoiler for everybody they don't which is a good thing but when i was watching that i was i think it's because my mate texted me and said have you watched it i said no a few days later have you watched it yet i said i've still not watched it yet and he's like sick i'm like something must happen this but the, the last time he was that excited about me seeing a film was split oh jeez <laughs> and i don't oh, want right. to ruin the ending for anybody's not yeah. seen it but yeah he wanted my reaction to it so i'm like am i gonna be watching this movie does russell crowe pop up at the end credits i do that <laughs> <laughs> and the more the more the movie went on, the more I was sucked into it, and I thought it, it won't work. It can't work in a crossover with Tom Cruise and the Mummy. It's just impossible. Yeah, I mean, I think that as I say, I love monster movie. I kind of I really yeah. like that sort of old fashioned kind of monster movie idea, and I and I was excited about the idea of the the dark universe. And John, I think you and I had talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago when we were recording our film festival pod. Um, I kind of wanted that to work. In fact, not kind of. I did want it to work, and I was kind of sad that it that it didn't it all fell apart and just nothing was good enough but i liked this version of this story and as you said john if they had gone ahead with the johnny depp thing then my god they would have had to focus on his character and it would have been you know an empathetic portrayal of his struggle and whatever but actually this this gave me a monster movie that i didn't know that i wanted but i loved it exactly yes it wouldn't have worked within a greater universe and no. it doesn't need to. That's the beauty of these films. They they are doing them one at a time, and they can just do whatever they want. They can just make them single stories. There's no reason for them to join them up. It doesn't make any sense. It, no, well, don't get me wrong. I was I was quite looking forward to the idea of the Dark Universe. I enjoyed the Mummy, <laughs> Tom Cruise movie. I quite liked it. I know it's terrible. I know it's not a good film, but I did quite enjoy it. And when Russell Crowe popped up his Mr. Hyde, or Dr. Jekyll, big spoiler, sorry. <laughs> don't worry, you, you can't, if you've not seen it by now, you're not going to see it. And <laughs> the universe is dead, so don't worry about that either. And I like the idea that we're going to maybe incorporate his 
all these monsters together. And I'm glad that this went the way it did. Now, obviously, watching the film, you can tell tonally that's not going to be the case. I, just, I was a wee bit kind of hesitant based on my friend texting me. But you say, John, if it was Johnny Depp, did they go down that road? It, uh, this, this is a this, we got the much better film. Absolutely, definitely. There's yes. no alternate universe out there. But this 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 is the best version of this movie in the multiverse. Although, <laughs> as you know, uh, they're looking to have a spin-off. No. <laughs> really? Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear about it? Of course, I always want to hear about terrible movie ideas. <laughs> yeah. What do you think they're going to do? It's not a sequel, it's a spin-off. It's not the same characters, but what do you think they're going to do? Oh, right, okay, I was going to say maybe she would come back as invisible, so there goes that idea. Ah, you're close. Oh, really? <laughs> That's so shit. <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth Banks is going to stand, direct, and produce a new adaptation of the 1940s The Invisible Woman. Oh, we need to stop with these vagina movies. We need, we need to stop this. <laughs> Not, not every male character needs an opposite, an equal female character. Like, do you know what? See, if they'd made this movie where the actual Invisible Man character was a woman, that wouldn't have bothered me, not one bit. But the fact that I feel like we're now going out of our way to sort of counter everything with a penis, it, it's stressing me out. Do you, know, do you know the funny thing? I actually just love that sentence. Counter everything with a penis. <laughs> but she was actually given a choice. No, no, sorry, you were saying about the idea maybe a woman. Mm-hmm. playing Invisible Man this time. Can you imagine it was gender swapped and she was torturing the guy? She was some kind of feminist icon. <laughs> in comparison. She'd be the hero. Yeah, I, but see the thing is, actually there, there probably isn't, I'm not that I can particularly think of apart from really obvious cases like, you know, Misery and stuff like that. There's not too many movies that I can think of where women are the abusers or the, you know, to a, a male of any kind, whether they're weak, strong, whatever. But I guess... Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm part of the problem, but I guess it was really easy for me to watch this film and go, do you know what? Yeah, women aren't believed when they say their boyfriends are abusive or they want to leave them or they're stalking them, or whatever. Maybe it was just easy for me to buy into that because that's what I'm told all the time. No, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, genuinely, I didn't really think much of it watching it, but you, you kind of highlighted that theme. It does make sense, and obviously it's, it's an extreme example because why should we believe she's in, the guy's invisible? But the the point being is she has told the truth. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how unbelievable the story is, she's right. <laughs> yeah. That's what the boils down to. Nobody's willing to believe her. So you're yeah, probably right. I, it's, it's good. It's a good. It's a good. It's a very important thing to take from it in that case. I mean, I definitely think. I think because I've been on the not on the receiving end, but I've had a a few mental exes, and I've had girls, friends, or whatever over the years who have you know once they break up with someone you know all of a sudden they can't get rid of that person and that and it is frightening behavior you know whether you're 16 and you're breaking up with your first boyfriend or you're 36 and you're breaking up with your husband or whatever but I definitely and I like that kind of take on things because usually I kind of feel like the invisible man is this sort of empathetic character like look at him look at his plight look at his suffering he can't be part of normal society this guy doesn't want to be part of normal society he wants to use whatever tech he's developed for you know nefarious purposes or whatever so actually I like that kind of spin on it that he wasn't the victim in all of this do you know all of the fact as well how kind of simple as deep some of the themes are as frightening as the movie is and it's it's a very good film. It's not just like popcorn munching fun. It's it's a very, for lack of a, like a, a snob critic idea. It's, it's a good film. It's a really good film. But the, the, the script is so simple. And I love the fact that they just gloss over certain things. Like, yeah, so this guy created a, a suit that can make him invisible just because he's some genius. The end. 
<laughs> yeah, there was like no like, oh, he's developing it for you know the army or like, do you know what I mean? There was just yeah. like, oh, <laughs> just because he was bored just, and he's got he a garage for too. <laughs> <laughs> he was just bored one night, and yeah. the idea is going to stick in like master plan in place and faking his death. It just seems to do, nobody seems to question the details, which is good because the details don't matter. It's not yeah. a kind of case of, well, how did he fake his death? Who cares how he fakes his death? So he's an important figure, he's a psychopath and a visible suit. That's what's important. <laughs> Love it. It's so simple, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, we've, we've talked about this in the past, remember, where you talk about time travel or something like that, and if you just accept it, it's part of it it exists it's got on with it you don't need to question it all the time it makes perfect sense it can go on with the story rather than having to have somebody emoting to camera but you know <laughs> basically drawing a diagram <laughs> for people <laughs> so they can understand what's going on don't need that and it's very good storytelling in that sort of respect yeah. have you ever seen the donna darko director's cut no i have that- years and years ago yeah that's essentially what it is, but you just described there, John. It's basically an explanation of the movie. Mm. Oh. There's so many scenes kind of intercut into to describe to explain what's happening, and there is some bits that I do like. But overall, it's like Donna Darko for idiots. All <laughs> oh, right, that I definitely don't need in my life. <laughs> yeah. But I like that. It makes like not that it makes me feel smart or whatever, but I like the fact that it, as you say, it doesn't have to explain itself. It just it just the film that you accept what's happening yeah just as there's only one kind of thing i want to mention it's spoilery so i'll dance around it but i want to know your reactions the scene in the restaurant i shit myself (laughs) it was unexpected really was and because of that it's very powerful very much so and like i say i won't say too much detail here for people that haven't seen it how that whole scene is filmed and shot and performed and just everything about it oh it's 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 gonna stick with you for a while a hundred percent. I mean, to be fair, there wasn't. This was like a couple of weeks ago when this whole uh, coronavirus thing was kicking off. So it was like me, Chris, and like maybe two or three other people in the cinema. But I actually like out loud gasped like so so loud that even the the small amount of people who were in the cinema did sort of turn round. And I was like, I just it it totally came out of left field. But that's where I think that like these types of films are kind of clever because they're not gratuitous, but they do kind of keep you on the hook. With what they do. Yep. With a budget of seven million, it's made <laughs> over a hundred and twenty million at the box office so far. Wow. How those numbers will affect you going forward? It's unprecedented times. Will they go up because people can just rent it? Or will they go down because they're not going to cinema? Who knows? But yeah, I think it's safe to say that if the spin-off doesn't happen, there's going to be some sort of sequel going down the line. I don't feel like it needs it. It really doesn't. It doesn't. It's just that kind of box office number. Yeah. It's apparently it's something like the seventh biggest grossing film of the year so far. I mean, it's going to be so hard to gauge like cinema figures this year anyway, with stuff getting cancelled and rearranged and all that sort of and movies sort of moving to kind of on demand like this is obviously for a fee. But again, you know, it's great. I think the budget for Upgrade was was quite small as well. And, you know, the, what I've seen of Lee Winnell so far, I just absolutely love. And it, it just goes to show that you don't need like stacks and stacks of cash to burn through when you can actually just get really good actors and a sort of solid, sensible script. That's it. I've cracked Hollywood. I can retire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's I'm going to be unanimous here, but uh, as as the custom from Movie Scramble, recommend from me, John. Yep, definitely recommend from me. Hey. Absolutely, it's a recommend from me, especially if we're all going to be locked in. It'll be worth the 15 quid or whatever. It's a great movie. 
Exactly. As Mary said, the movie is available for rent on demand. Uh, if you are able to go and see it at a cinema anytime soon, don't stay at home. <laughs> Just rent it. It's for the best. Well, that was our thoughts on Invisible Man. And as John alluded to earlier, it was produced by Blumhouse Productions, which when you see that name on a, on a film, I personally get quite excited as I believe they've brought some of the best horror films out, specifically in the horror genre. I think they've brought really some of the best horror films of the last decade. They also did Whiplash, which a lot of people don't know about. Did they? Yeah, which I think is one of the best films. <laughs> Maybe over the last 20 years, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. But they're mostly known for horror film. Very, very good at taking a low-budget film and turning a nice, tidy profit on it. As The Invisible Man was a reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it. It happened a few remakes in the past, again, with similar success rates. So we've decided to think about our top three movies that we would like to see Blumhouse remake or reboot. Their take on it. What would this production company do? Because I love Jason Blum. I think he's brilliant. He just comes like a cool, cool, cool guy on Twitter. His production company's great. They make great films. Good choices. A lot of care taken into them. I think I've seen three Blumhouse films before this lockdown kicked in. Sure. Yeah, they were all in the cinema. <laughs> Fantasy Island, Invisible Man, and The Hunt. But, oh, are they all Blumhouse? Okay. But let's talk about our top three. John, what film would you like to see remade by Blumhouse? The film I'd like to see remade is Soylent Green, the 1973 dystopian thriller starring Charlton Heston and Edward G. Robinson. The basis of the story is it's 2022 and the world has gone to shit, basically due to (laughs) overpopulation and pollution. Nothing to do with viruses here. There's actually too many people and there is not enough food to go around. So the Soylent Corporation comes in and is producing food. There's Soylent Red and there is the new one, Soylent Green, which is produced from algae. Now, at the background of this is the Charlton Heston character, who is a policeman and he's basically enforcing the law in a very, very overcrowded New York City. So the film itself is a bit police procedural, there's science fiction elements and there's kind of thriller elements as well. It basically follows him over the course of an investigation into a high-powered member of the Soylent Corporation dying in mysterious circumstances. He reckons there's something wrong with it, but he's kind of told to just mark it as a suicide or a mugging or something, but he persists and gets deeper into a whole sort of conspiracy. It's an absolutely cracking movie. It hasn't aged particularly well in terms of the style of it. I saw it a couple of weeks ago and the 2022 clothes look very much like the 1970s clothes, (laughs) (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Charlton Heston wears a skip cap and a a neckerchief, which is not the best look for a middle-aged man. I'll tell you that for nothing. But it's it's a great film. It's a really, really good story. And it's one that you can see a company like Blumhouse doing because they could do it within their budget and they would subtly twist it in order to sort of put some more modern themes on it. I must say the the way that they treat women in this film is absolutely abhorrent. They're basically attached to apartments. They're basically the live-in interest in the apartments for somebody who's wanting to rent a, a modern luxury place and they are part of basically part they're called furniture actually in part of the film wow no it's it's a very very male-centric view of the future shall we say but 
Yep, I could really see this being remade. I would think maybe somebody like Josh Brolin and the sort of Charlton Heston lead, maybe, don't know. But there's plenty of scope in there, or maybe even changing the uh, the focus of the character as well. So it's maybe female-led. Could it's, it's very easy to adapt, I think, and I think it would be a cracking movie to do. Yeah, do you know, I've never seen that. I know the film, and I know the twist, and I know the, the pop culture references regarding it, but I've never actually seen the movie. And I have it recorded on the Skybox. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, it's one of those kind of old classic, well, not old, it's like only 30 years old or whatever, but it is, it's a classic, isn't it? Definitely, yes. It'll be older than 30 years now. It's, well, it's nearly 50 years. It was 1973. Yeah. Oh, God, my maths is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy watch, yeah. I think the Invisible Man was probably a bit similar runtime, no? It wasn't long. I don't think so, yeah. I think it was maybe just uh, around about 100 minutes, something like that. It wasn't yeah. particularly long at all. Kind of easily digestible chunk of cinema. They don't mess about. No. In oh, fact, no. no, no, The Invisible Man was 130 minutes long. Wow. Yeah, I've seen not. that as well. It certainly didn't feel it. I was watching no. it. No, no. Definitely not. Okay, I think I'm up next. So I'm a big fan of German expression cinema. And for that reason, I would love to see Bloomhouse get their hands on a remake of Paul Laney's 1928 silent movie, The Man Who Laughs. It's a washbuckling melodrama, which doesn't really sound like Bloomhouse fodder, but it's a film that's said to have inspired a number of other characters, most notably the rendering of the Joker. So it's based on a Victor Hugo novel and stars Conrad Veet, I hope I'm pronouncing his surname properly, as Gwynplaine, who is disfigured really badly as a young boy. He's given a, a permanent smile that literally stretches right over his face. His dad is, is murdered in an Iron Maiden and he's cast out. So he kind of joins a sort of, well, what they refer to as a travelling freak show, but I'm quite sure that's an insensitive term these days, where he sort of performs his laughing man routine. And he is joined by Dee, who is a blind girl who falls in love with him because, of course, she can't see what he looks like and she just loves him for who he is. And I think that there's a lot of scope there for, for Bloomhouse to kind of do something with the character, both in terms of how he looks and kind of how he would elicit sympathy. It is an old-fashioned monster movie, kind of along the lines of, like, you know, the Hunchback of, of Notre Dame and the kind of the original version of that. And it, I would love to see somebody like Roger Eggers or something get a hold of that because it is expressionist cinema and he did that so well with The Lighthouse so that's that's my first pick. I just I'm I'm intrigued to see what they could do with a character like that because he's not a he's not a villain, but he's inspired a lot of renditions of one of kind of cinema's biggest villains. So yeah, that's my first pick. What I find interesting about that uh, with both your picks here is you you got casting suggestions and directors attached, and I'm like, ah, oh, you're so disappointed with mine. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard of this film, and I'm intrigued now. And have you seen the imagery? Fact that... Sorry to interrupt you, job, but have you seen the imagery from it? It's stunning. No, no, it's I have not. quite famous. Yeah, mm. you might recognise it to see it. It's an early Universal Pictures film as well, so that's yeah. right in Blumhouse's wheelhouse because they have this exclusive deal with Universal at the moment for all. They distribute all of their films, not just the monster films. So, yes, it's actually one that you could see actually being done. Yeah. I, I had a look through it. I, I did a bit of research on it and it looks, it's one of these films that you think, yeah, that could really be done. It's got yeah, scope for updating it quite easily, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff is quite dated, you know, there's a kind of royal court and sort of political points going in that way about who has, you know, rightful 
who's rightful heir to the throne and all that sort of thing but you could really update that in a sort of mod- modern political setting or something but yeah I just I would just be so intrigued because the character is quite you would you would know the character the main character of Gwynplaine if, if you saw the imagery so I'd just be quite keen to see what they would do with something like that Okay, Thomas, your first pick. I have went with one of my all-time favourite slasher movies, Maniac Cop. (laughs) Have you seen Maniac Cop? No, but the title already has got me laughing. (laughs) There's three of them. Of course there is. (laughs) (laughs) The first one, uh, I actually think the second one's probably the best, but the first one's great as well. It's it's basically pitched as Michael Myers with a badge. You've got this cop called Matt Cordell as the cop, and he's a great cop really good but it got too close to the corruption at city hall so he gets framed put in prison where he's knifed to death or is he because a cop that looks very similar to him but covered in scars is haunting the streets of new york and butchering innocent people now one of the cops he starts to do some investigation into it but while he's investigating it another cop played by bruce campbell is framed for the murders so you've got a slasher movie very kind of like running a mill slasher to an extent. But this layered story of like corruption and a cop being framed and trying to clear his name, it just kind of cries out for a remake, in my opinion. I think Blumhouse did a great job of it as well. It's got low budget written all over it. It's got these kind of political themes that are still very relevant today. You could bring in stuff regarding like cop corruption and the Blue Lives Matter type idea. Uh, but interestingly enough, it is, it's been in development hell, the remake, for a while. Do you know, Mary, you like this one? Because I know you like the director. Who has mm-hmm. been trying to reboot it? No, because I've never even heard of the film. So. <laughs> Nicholas Winden Reffin. No fucking way, really? Yeah, and, the, and the movie has not got off the ground, but I only found it today. Oh, he would smash it. something like that? It's getting picked up as an HBO series. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, still, I, would, I would definitely watch that, yeah. but like, he would smash something like that. Definitely. I mean, I, I think it's really work of the Blumhouse film. It's already getting made as the HBO series, so fair enough. If you've not seen me now, Cop, please do go and watch the first two. Don't watch the third one, it's terrible. The third <laughs> one's awful. It's really, really bad, but the first two are great. Uh, the second one, where he teams up with another serial killer. It's a normal human, but I can't really give too much away in the kind of plots of these films, but he's not just some kind of brain-dead idiot just killing for the sake of it. It's actually the, the reason he's killing and what his plans are. It's a kind of mixture of like violent revenge and quite clever like plot. And that makes it, you might be going, no way, fucking hell, it's me and I caught quite a clever plot. But it does. It's a great film, absolutely great. I'd, I'd recommend it. The special effects have dated a little, but it's an awesome movie. Need to seek Pretty that good. out, for sure. Yep, never <laughs> seen it. In fact, no, I have seen it. It was years ago, and I couldn't remember it until I looked it up and thought, sounds very familiar. <laughs> a long, long time. One of the main problems is, though, is the version I've got on DVD, I still don't get the blurry, as they released a special edition where they included extra scenes in the movie, but the scenes were recorded, the scenes were filmed after the movie was, was out. <laughs> and you'll see, so none of the other actors interact with this character, apart from one, and he looks nothing like he does in the movie. Oh, no way. <laughs> John. Your second pick. My second pick is The Day the Earth Stood Still, the 1951 version of the film rather than the 2008 Keanu fronted remake, which was itself a guilty pleasure, something you can watch, but I preferred the original version. The story behind this is a flying saucer that lands in Washington and out of it comes a humanoid figure with an eight foot tall robot 
called Gort, and he's there to deliver a message to the people of Earth to say, you need to take care, you need to all work as one. And the first thing that happens is he gets shot <laughs> by the army who have turned up. Basically, he then is hospitalised and interrogated. He manages to escape and he goes to live in this boarding house with various people who he interacts with and basically to see what real humans are like rather than just the army. And then it all joins up from there. The film itself has obviously come out of the the paranoia of the 1950s, all the the reds under the bed and the, the menace that the unknown proposed as well as the fact that we had begun the space race at that point and it was obviously just after the second world war so there was a lot of tension with different countries around the world and the fact that they were all wanting to get into space and basically conquer space a theme that's still very relevant today with a certain american president with his space force trying to get that in operation it's a film that's very easily updated and it would be right in their wheelhouse. It can be done relatively cheaply. They don't need to have the same sort of level of special effects that they had in the 2008 film. It can be a very sort of small scale film. I would like to see somebody like Michelle Yeoh in the lead part for this because it adds an extra dimension having an Asian actress in it basically because there are so many tensions between America and the East under normal circumstances so having somebody come out of a spaceship and they look as if they've come from Asia rather than someone with a a cut glass English accent creates another level to it it's a bit bit more tense adds something more to it something a little bit more modern as well I think it would it would be very good indeed. I did. I would enjoy it a lot more probably than the, the remake. <clears throat> I didn't see the original, to be fair. I did go and see the Keanu Reeves one, and I love Keanu Reeves. We all do. <laughs> oh man, he's so bad in this film. Oh really? Uh, I've not seen this. I must have met, like, <laughs> I never really came into the Keanu Reeves love fest until the John Wick movies. I was never a massive fan. There's this scene, John, you, remember, you might remember the scene where he speaks to the old Chinese man, mm-hmm. and he just starts speaking Mandarin, but it's just it shouldn't it shouldn't come out of the blue but it does he's so yeah. over the top and he's and he's chinese speaking oh i need to google that i need to like find this scene on youtube or something like <laughs> people, people, people started laughing in the cinema <laughs> always a good sign <laughs> always a good sign that's a good choice though and i think that could really work as you said not just special effects extravaganza but i scaled down uh, yes products. Yeah, i think if you uh, as you say the themes of kind of paranoia and fear like, you don't necessarily have to go into the, the details of, you know, the kind of special effects and, you know, flying discs in the air or whatever. The kind of suspense and tension that goes along with those kind of feelings is, is enough. Yep, totally. I'm going to jump back to Maniac Cop for two seconds and say I would actually have Logan Marshall Green as the lead, as a Maniac Cop. And nice. I'll send you clips later on, Mary, and you, I think you'll put a good connection together. It was suit the part. Oh, I'm excited. Excited. Although usually when I get a link through from you, Sammy, I'm like, fuck, should I open this? <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is always yes. Yeah, <laughs> just not but in case where you don't have headphones. Yeah, so my next pick is a film that I only actually saw a few years ago, but I just fell in love with it the moment I saw it. It's 1973 British horror comedy Theatre of Blood directed by Douglas Hickox and it literally stars like everyone you'd expect in a sort of 1970s horror comedy you've got Vincent Price you've got Diana Rigg Diana Dors Eric Sykes and Arthur Lowe like 
and that's just like a, a small fraction of the cast. Price is, you know, at his best. He's loving sort of playing the villain and getting to recite some Shakespeare at the time. So he kind of stars as this seemingly down his luck actor, Edward Lionheart. And the, the film opens with him kind of being snubbed at an awards ceremony. And he takes it so personally, he fakes his own death. <laughs> like how dare you not let me win this award so he obviously fakes his own death and then what he decides to do is kind of plot revenge on every single person that he's as far as he's concerned has shunned him and his abilities so what i love about this this movie is like it's kind of hammer-esque in tone but it's also kind of like carry on killing it, it does sort of marry the two like really really well and each of the the murders that that vincent price's character carries out are done in the style of a Shakespeare play. So he's got a critic that's force-fed the meat of his dogs, like Queen Tamara and Titus Andronicus. And you've got a critic who has a pound of flesh cut out, quite literally like The Merchant of Venice. So I think Blumhouse could do this. I think they could either take it down the full horror route and just kind of focus on that, or they could keep the sort of comedy undertones uh, to it. But having seen, is it Cloverfield Place? Is that what it's called? I kind of reimagined it with John Goodman in the lead role as a sort of down in his heel, kind of down his luck actor who's just just becomes a psycho i think he can sort of flip that switch quite easily and i would just again because it was a film that i really loved when i watched it and i loved how they blended the kind of comedy and horror moments i thought bloomhouse could take this and really run with it and just make it kind of pure horror and so that that's my second pick i really recommend it i think you can actually get the full film on on youtube i just loved it it was kind of kind of corny and kind of kitsch and some of it's kind of dated but i just thought it was a really clever idea actually never seen it i have no knowledge of it whatsoever and having looked it up it looks brilliant (laughs) (laughs) one of these films you think yeah typically british yeah it'd be really interesting to watch and like you say it's cast of thousands and every one of them seems to be a a known name from television and movies in the uk yeah looks particularly interesting i definitely think if if it is on youtube i think it was a while ago i think you should should definitely watch it It, as i say it won't be to everyone's taste because i think it probably has dated a wee bit but i I would love to see bloomhouse get their hands on something like that because think of the ensemble cast that you could have like i'm just saying john goodman could take on the vincent price role but seriously think of everyone who you could have in that it would be awesome all these different like really classic character actors that we've got kind of just now like it it would be amazing thomas choice Uh, number two i'm gonna go with the lawnmower man Starring Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey from 1992. That movie is almost 30 years old. Scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yep. think I've heard of this at all. The Lawnmower Man, really? Uh, it's, it's, based in, it's mostly based on a Stephen King short story, I believe. Oh, I have. Uh, I have. I have. We discussed this on another podcast, didn't we? We did, yes. Yes, okay. Pierce Brosnan is a scientist who tries to make... Jeff Fahey's character, who's intellectually challenged, he tries to make him a super genius using technology. But mm-hmm. what he does is create a super villain. As he starts giving him not only an enhanced intellect, but telepathic powers. It's a very kind of basic idea of like it's very it's almost like a Frankenstein remake in many ways. You've got the mad scientist. He's not trying to create life this time, but he's trying to create genius in the empty vessel. There is kind of there's a lot of kind of similarities in the themes there, and obviously it was tits up and the monster starts running them up. <laughs> the rest movie at the time didn't do very well in terms of critics and that. Done okay at the box office, had a fuck awful sequel, but the original movie was very lauded for the time for its special effects. Everything was done in a kind of virtual reality setting where the virtual reality world wasn't very common. You could do this movie two ways going forward. You could go to this big super extravagant special effects 
bonanza, but that would take away from the point of the movie that it's supposed to be a computer world based on the technology of the time, which this was. Now, looking back on it, it's very dated, but at the time it was very groundbreaking. You could still do this a low-budget movie because the themes are there. It ties out that kind of universal idea. You've got Frankenstein. It's very similar to that. And although it's very, very kind of loosely based on it, if at all, if you even want to say it was, the themes are similar. And it does raise a lot of kind of social commentary in regards to is it, eth- is it ethical to try and enhance someone's intellect unnaturally? And this movie kind of answers the question where, well, no, because look at <laughs> look what you've done. But yeah, I mean, this, this is a film. I'm not the biggest fan of the movie. And that's one of the reasons I went and picked it. I didn't just want to pick movies that I love because I love the movies. I'm not that. I'm not always interested in seeing a remake of something I really like. With this, I think it was a it's pretty average at best. It could benefit from a remake as with a tighter script and some, no offence to the director, but a better kind of director, producer behind the movie with some more focus and care given to it. It could be something really special. I think yep. it certainly sounds interesting. I think maybe it was the sequel you kind of made fun of in the last podcast, and that's why I was getting confused. Probably. The sequel's terrible. <laughs> it's set in, set in the near future. It's almost like five years later, and it's like Total Recall all of a sudden. You're like, okay. <laughs> it's not very good. And it's got the guy for Honey, Shrunted Kids in it, Matt Frewer, I think his name is. And yeah, it's just terrible. It's awful. Don't see it. Don't even watch Lawnmore, man. It's not even that good. But... <laughs> Remake it. Yeah. Petition to Bloomhouse on Twitter as of tonight. Yeah, and put Sam Rockwell in it as a lawnmower man. Oh, I love Sam Rockwell. He could actually play either role, I think. He could, couldn't he? He's a scientist, yes, I. Easily. Mm. Have him play both parts. I think I mentioned this the last time that it was Rockstar Games that created the visual effects for the film. You did? In their sort of infancy. No, did I not? It was a company called Angel, Angel Productions, I think it was, and they went on to become Rockstar Games. Wow. I think I might have, yeah. yeah. Uh, you may have done, because you, know, you mentioned it, that's familiar, and I wouldn't have known that other than you mentioned it. It's a quite an intriguing film. It's one I have on DVD, but I've not watched for years and years. It's one I really have to revisit, just for seeing Pierce Brosnan, you know, because he's a fantastic actor. I like what he does. So him as a mad scientist is always good, and I think he's got his, his 1990s hair in it as well, isn't it? Yes. It's quite flowing. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't want to see that speaking of flowing hair my third choice is the love boat which was a 1977 to 1987 sitcom comedy drama it was a television show in the u.s Basically, people go on board the, the, the aptly named Love Boat and they find adventure and they find love. There's a, always a cast of very well-known characters that come on, very well-known faces. There's a crew who, I think they were there for the whole run of it. It was the same people and they all had their wee foibles and things like that, led by the captain and they all did their wee bit to make sure that everybody's dreams came true. This has a direct link already to an existing Blumhouse film. There was an episode of The Love Boat where they went to Fantasy Island. So there was a real crossover there. So there's actually a way that they could do this with The Love Boat turning up at Fantasy Island, maybe as a sequel maybe a, a, a shared universe. But I think this would work really well as a standalone film because you have the nice element, you have the brand recognition, people going on a cruise, everything's 
supposedly going to be okay. They don't obviously think that it's a floating petri dish or anything. They, they obviously think it's a very nice thing to do, which I don't. I think it's horrible. <laughs> 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 and obviously then something malicious. It doesn't necessarily need to be a person. It could be something supernatural. It could be anything that it can introduce to turn the film from being love to hate or death or uh, all sorts of stuff. I think it would make a very good adaptation. I do, well, and I just I love the fact it. that you have managed to put the love boat in a shared Blumhouse horror universe. <laughs> <laughs> I am absolutely, I'm so impressed with that. That needed to happen now. In fact, if it doesn't happen, I'm still just going to imagine it has. <laughs> And I was kind of wondering where you were going with that because I kind of thought that was a sort of like a like not like a comedy show, but mm-hmm. I was wondering how you were going to link this back into sort of wider Blumhouse territory. But no, slick. It was the first thing I thought of when we were talking about this whole idea. I thought it would fit in very well, partly to do with the fact that Fantasy Island was somewhat similar to it, and it's mm-hmm. the way that it sort of set itself out. It was a, a comedy romantic drama sort of set up as well obviously with its own sort of recurring characters and everything but it kind of fitted in with that whole thing they could even have the, the iconic theme music at the start of the film as well so people have got a wee bit of brand recognition there it works very well i'm, I'm going to demand a producer's credit on this i'm telling you i absolutely loved it back to german expressionist cinema for me so i think that Blumhouse should remake the 1926 film Faust, directed by F.W. Murnau, who's probably more well known for Nosferatu. And I think that should sort of give you a hint at sort of being a kind of gothic horror. It's obviously based on the writings of Goethe and stars Emil Jannings as Mephisto, who makes a deal with an archangel that if he can destroy a man's soul, the devil will get to rule the earth, which if that's not a spooky enough premise for a film, I don't know what is. So he sets his sights on the elderly alchemist Faust, who I think in the remake should be played by Tom Hanks because he is just the good guy's good guy. And actually, I kind of wanted Sam Rockwell to play Mephisto in my head. So obviously the story is super well known. Faust trades his mortal soul for, you know, good looks, a good life, beautiful women, but, you know, at, at what cost? And I think that whilst this kind of premise has been done a million times over with films as wide-ranging as like you know the hungarian film mephisto right up until al pacino and the devil's advocate i do think bloomhouse could do something really good with the original text and i'd love to see kind of like dante-esque visions of demons and devils and i would love to know what it takes in 2020 to get somebody to sell their soul because obviously things have changed since like 1926 when the film was first shot and i'm a big fan of, of that that type of expressionist horror and i just think that's kind of naturally where Blumhouse could find their comfort zone because these films are so so old that they don't really have much of an audience and just I love that kind of classic good versus evil and I, I would love to see what they did with something like that like that this could maybe be a sort of you could have it on as grand a scale as you like but you know it's that whole idea of like the devil doesn't necessarily need to be you know cloven hooves and horns it could literally be an ordinary guy in the street because that's the whole point isn't it so but yeah that's my final pick Nice. Yeah, so I like that as a choice, and there's so much you could do with it to keep it fresh. I mean, the idea has become so cliched, it's been done so many times. Uh, even the idea of Faustian deal has entered our terminology, it's entered as a phrase. You don't have to have heard the Faust or know the story, but you'd heard the term, you know the term, yeah. and you've, you've known what it was talking about. I haven't seen the film, I have read it. I've actually been to the Goethe Museum 
in Frankfurt. It was pretty cool. You're so cool. Something like that. It was pretty sweet. Uh, but that's a cracking choice. I think there's so much scope you could have in a rebuilt like that, a model setting, like the visible man, how it kind of twisted things and made it fresh. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's so much. And if you look up to the film and you look at the sort of imagery, like what Murnau was achieving back in 1926 is really incredible. Like it looks scary as fuck. And I just think that's something they could really run with. Yep, definitely. I would like to see Tom Hardy as Mephisto. I think he would be very good at that. Oh, I like. I think we're just going to end that sentence, but I'd like to see Tom Hardy as a kind of pause, and I'm like, yep, <laughs> I agree. Just in general, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I'm cool with that. I mean, your last pick. I am going to go with another Stephen King adaptation, but as much as it would be classed as a remake, and I know the term remake, reboot, they're all kind of interchangeable, I would rather this be an, adapt- an adaptation of the book itself rather than a remake of the movie, The Running Man. And the reason being, it's I love The Running Man, it's a great film. Arnold Schwarzenegger, cheesy action movie, some really <laughs> far ahead of its time themes with regards to the TV networks and how entertainment's can consumed. But the original book by King, writing as Richard Bachman, Ben Richards isn't some muscle-bound like ex-cop who's framed. He's an everyman whose daughter is ill. And volunteers to be on the running man to earn some money. And the, pro- the, the premise is similar. It's a game show where hunters hunt you down and try and kill you. But it's not a game show in terms of all flashy, glitzy character. Neon gladiators. He's basically been an enemy of the state. And he has to basically escape as, for as long as he can. And the world is the set. So it's a lot more grounded in idea. It's not a, it wouldn't be by special effects extravaganza. Films like The Purge, I've got to think, have been influenced by The Running Man. Even got The Hunt has come out recently, although that's based on a most dangerous game. As The Running Man has kind of some allusions to that as well, there's still some themes to it in terms of the entertainment and the, the cultural zeitgeist, so to speak, and how entertainment's played out. And I think based on movies Blumhouse have already made, you could have, you could, I mean, you could make a cracking version of the Running Man, and I love the Running Man movie, but don't remake that film. Go back to the source material. There's so much to play with. Interestingly enough, you cannot get away with the ending in the movie now. I don't mm-hmm. want to see it if you haven't read it because it's, it's worth reading. It really is worth reading. Yeah. But if you are interested in the ending, go to Wikipedia, <laughs> read how the book ends, and sit back and go, yeah, there's no way they can make that. No way. <laughs> Okay. I mean, to me, I'm just hearing running and I'm thinking like Tom Cruise fodder. Dude loves a run. But actually, like, it's not that far removed from like TV shows that are on just now, like Hunted and stuff that's on Channel 4. So, I mean, the premise is there. That's a great choice. I mean, this book was released in 1982 and they have, as you say, they've made shows that like it. Obviously, nobody's getting murdered yet. (laughs) We're just one step away. And I think, especially with the kind of social lay of the land, so to speak, I, I'd imagine somebody maybe like John Boyega in the role. I think it would definitely work for a young black actor. Yeah, and you could really that. tap in a lot of kind of racial themes with it as well and how society kind of views certain people. I, th- I think it's, it's so right for a, for a remake of this yeah, movie. Yeah, that's really clever, actually. I like that. Oh, shit. Have just... a game show host. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, actually, because... would you cast against type would you put somebody nice like tom hanks in the role so that he can 
explore his darker side because he's obviously the, the host is very sleazy and smarmy. You know, one two. Do you know who I think would be really good in the role? It'd be, I think Christian Bale would be great in the role as the host. Oh, good choice. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a very, and I know Blumhouse can, it's not, the, the actors aren't usually of that caliber, yeah. hence because the budget of movies is lower. But thinking of him in that kind of American psycho type, Patrick yeah. Bale, yeah. he would thing. be excellent as that kind of game show host. I'm thinking maybe somebody like William H. Macy or something like that somebody who you associate with being meek but he's able to turn his hand to something a little more meaty and horrible if you like or do you just go for some like an out and out like good villain like mark strong yeah you can never go wrong with mark strong as a villain can you you um as you suggested or just read how the book ends and no fucking way <laughs> do that. Not without a public outcry, at least. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to think more about that actually in terms of who I'd have as the 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 game show host or the executive producer, as it is in the book. But yeah, that's my final choice. Oh, what about Brian Cranston? Brian Cranston's an excellent choice. Cause he's he can flip the switch. Yes. I'm going to be thinking about this all night now. <laughs> I think Pedro Pascal would be a good choice as Killian in The Running Man. Is I think he'd be he just he's a great actor. He's got a villain look about him. He can ham it up if need be. And he just has a... Yeah, he just has a look. He'd be great. He obviously has the Mandalorian as well. So. He is indeed, yeah. Well, whenever he bothered to turn up. <laughs> you'll, you'll find out when you actually watch it, maybe. I'm Baby Yoda. I, I identify as Baby Yoda. <laughs> that was our top three picks. Please let us know yours. I did put a call out on social media earlier, but clearly you're all so busy in your lives these days. <laughs> you just think to reply. That quarantine's just got everyone so damn busy. <laughs> yeah. This is the point of the podcast where we usually talk about what's happening in the news, and there's a lot happening in the movie world. Unfortunately, it's all the same stories we're hearing. Movies are getting cancelled, left, right, and centre, or delayed. Those films that have been released that are getting put to on demand, and there's even talk of movies that haven't been released, such as Wonder Woman, going straight to on demand. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's something they should do? Or in terms of A Quiet Place Spectre, do you think it should be pushed back? Are these, are these movies that you should see in a cinema? Is it going to take any myst- magic and mystique away from these big Hollywood blockbusters if you watch them in the house? Yeah, I mean, I want to see Bond on a big screen. I'm a big Bond lover. Like, I will watch that franchise no matter how shit it gets. So I kind of want to see that on the big screen. I feel like that, to me, is like a proper cinema trip. A Quiet Place, that might do me a favour, because last time I was in a cinema full of idiots who would not shut the fuck up. So it might be fine for me to watch that at home, because at least I can be quiet for an hour and a half or whatever. But yeah, you know, I will miss going to the cinema whilst this is all going on, because to me, that's like, that's the big treat. That's the big bit of escapism. And... Yeah, for some of these things, you do just kind of want to experience it on the big screen. Bond, for me, being the most obvious example, I, I definitely will hang off if I if I can to see that on the big screen. Yeah, same. These event movies are made to be seen on the screen. There's a lot of films out there that are not made in that sort of way. They're just made to go out there and they're perfect for streaming platforms, video on demand premieres, that kind of thing. 
but the, the big ones, what I think they'll do is they will just hold off the majority of them because they need that box office revenue as well as the back-end video on demand and streaming revenue in order to succeed. You can't really see DC or Marvel throwing away the best part of a billion dollars on box office revenue when they can just hold off for six or 12 months yeah. and do it then because the anticipation is there for these films. It's not going to go away anytime soon. People will still want to see them. People will want to get out yeah. as well. They want to go and do communal things. So, yeah, they're, they're as well holding off. But there's so many films come out in a normal week anyway. You're talking about sometimes up to 12, 15 films get released. The majority of those, no, there's no need to actually see them at a cinema at all. You can just quite happily watch them in your, your big telly at home. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, obviously, there's, there's bigger things in the world happening, but we can look at what kind of other impacts it's having. It's simple pleasures for people, and going to the cinema is a big deal for mm-hmm. people just getting out. And for me, interestingly enough, I usually try and avoid the cinema at as busy as times. I would try and go when it was quieter. There's a, a slight, I can recognise the irony in that I would kind of social distance by going to the cinema during the, during the day, like early morning mm-hmm. screenings, but... Yeah, I mean, there's some films that I don't want to not see, but I, I'm the same as you guys. I'd rather kind of hold out and see films that Wonder Woman as intended. I want yeah. to see a uh, 40-foot Gal Gadot. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's more than last... enough to keep us going at the moment. There is, yeah. yeah, there's plenty. And we can't really complain. I mean, if this happened even just about 10 years ago, how many services did we have internet-wise? Yeah. Mm. So There's most importantly, so the message of this is fear not, podcast listeners, because we will still find content to talk about. I know you're all dying for our next episode already, but we'll if still be here. Like, if you would like us to review Maniac Cop in the future uh, and make <laughs> me and John watch it, I am all for that. Awesome. And if you're up for doing a Hellraiser series of podcasts to keep oh, ourselves busy, that is... I think there's 11 films at my last count, maybe 12. <laughs> I'll keep us busy. But not particularly sane. No. <laughs> You'll be fucking running from the house. I need to hold on to mine. <laughs> that was our thoughts on Invisible Man and what films we would like to see remade by Blumhouse and some Corona chat flung in there as well, just to say topical. For when this podcast is put in a time capsule in years to come, people will unearth it and listen to it. And first thing they'll say is, what's a podcast? Says thing they'll be like, oh yeah, the coronavirus, remember that? (laughs) (laughs) What a crazy four years that was. Oh no! (laughs) Do you guys have any shout outs or anything you want to plug before we call it a day? I would just like to say we shout out to Ashleen, who I know is a very dedicated listener. She's a colleague of mine at work and she literally really, really loves the podcasts and she quite likes it when we sort of hint that she might be one of our two listeners. So I'm actually going to name and shame her. Ashleen, hello. Thank you for listening. Is your colleague for work? Is it your cat? <laughs> <laughs> no, when I have a life outside. <laughs> Sorry, John. Just to give a shout out to my friend Mark, who wrote some very nice words about us on one of our previous podcasts, saying that he really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Always nice to get a wee bit of feedback. Yes, indeed. Uh, I don't know, have any specific shout outs for people, just other than joking aside with the coronavirus and that, please stay safe and please just do what the experts are telling you to do. It's the only way to kind of help 
curb this horrendous time we're living through. It really is scary times. It's unprecedented, but fear not. I know you're worried what's going to happen to the podcast going forward. We're still going to record it. I know that's your biggest concern. <laughs> As we said, we'll find content to do. And we've said, if, you, if there are specific films you would like to see us review, just for old times sake, classics or that, or something terrible just to torture us, feel free <laughs> to do so. I'm sure we could have some fun <laughs> going forward with it. If you want to get a hold of us, you know the job by now. You can find us on social media at Movie Scramble on all platforms except Bebo, which no longer exists. And if you want to email John specifically, you can add podcast at gmail.com. It is, yes. And or podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. Okay, so I just made that up. <laughs> if you do email the email address I gave you, I have no idea who's going to get it. <laughs> Not us. There was some, there was some day... <laughs> There was some like, Nigerian prince gone or somebody's emailed me at last. <laughs> but yeah, thanks everybody for downloading us, streaming us, listening to us, putting up with us once again. Love you loads. It's good night. Bye. Bye.